Hello and welcome to episode 204 of What Most People Think and I am struck down with Ashes Fever. Even that we're recording this Monday, even as I'm recording this, England are trying to compile against a lead against Australia and uh, my mind, I'm, try, I'm going to try and put it out of my mind because yesterday was Father's Day and um, well, I was a poor father. It was absent Father's Day. I just kept retreating up to the bedroom and uh, that never looks good as a man, but it's, it's arguably masturbation would be better than just watching cricket alone. Um, on that bombshell, I'd like to welcome back to the show, a friend of the show, Dominic Frisby. Welcome back, mate. Uh, thank you very much, Jeff. How's, I uh, am a fellow cricket fan and I must confess that due to everything that was going on, I actually have, I only know the score up to Saturday night. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I don't know anything more. So I, I haven't caught up with the highlights. Well, yet. that's good. Well, let's both completely uh, avoid that and get focused okay. uh, on the task at hand, which is a uh, chat and, excuse me, chat and news, you know? Yeah. Chat and news, but if you're first time you listen to the podcast, coming from just a very slightly different part of the comedic political spectrum, not not miles away, but just different enough that hey, we might discuss a conservative politician and not suggest that they need a stake through the heart. You know, I mean, it's just it, it's wild hot takes like that, right? Well, I think that no, I would I don't agree that they don't need a stake through the heart. The only difference is the stake is coming from the right rather than from the left. That's where the stakes being hurled from. Yes, if anyone could indeed still afford steak because of the because <laughs> of the Tory cost of living crisis. Have you noticed how um, Labour politicians now have just started putting the word Tory in front of things? That's always a good sign that they're not really focused on winning the war of ideas. <laughs> well, I mean, they've already won it because every Tory policy is a Labour policy, but yeah. Yes, no, that, well, they don't need to. I mean, if we're going to use the cricket analogy here, they can just comfortably... The run rate's very easy. They don't have to take any risks. It's Labour. I mean, I will stop with the cricket analogies, dear listener, but um, Labour can essentially do the opposite of baseball. Just tick along a one and over, and it's quite an easy run chase. I mean, the subjects we will be talking about they are, is... They're the Neil Fairbrother of uh, politics. There you go. I mean, we're just shedding <laughs> listeners, but I'm here for it. Um, D, we'll be talking about the, the vote on the party gate committee, the privileges committee, uh, recommendations, which is happening today, so we don't know the outcome of it. It does certainly seem like most of the House will vote against Boris, with one or two notable Tories voting against, but a lot of them just abstaining. Obviously, with Dom's knowledge on uh, money, I'm going to be chatting to him about interest rate rises and how the, the interest rate, has it got a phrase yet? The ticking mortgage time bomb? Is that it? Yeah, well, that's ticking over at a at a one and two run rate and over as well. <laughs> they've gone basketball. They go. They've gone above five and over, haven't they? Well, they're yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. That's what. That's where they're. We're going to not be able to avoid cricket analogies here. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of these things are either called a crisis or a pandemic. What What is the mortgage? It's a time bomb, isn't it? It can't be a pandemic or a, an epidemic or a crisis. Yeah, I suppose it is a a, a ticking time bomb. The um, there's always all these um sort of whenever the people are talking about financial markets, there's always words like implosions and collapse mm. and explosion, all these kind of bomb macho metaphors. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Seem to get Atrophy, aneurysms. Let's get, let's get deeper. <laughs> Do you know the what the word mortgage, what it actually means? No, but this is what I love about you having on the show is because you're going to now tell me something I can tell my wife later and she'll just stare through me, but I'll still think it's a good fact. Well, no, she'll like this one. 
death grip. Is that what it means? Of course, more. More is, yeah, engage is grip, death grip. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that was that was more interesting and yet sadder than, than um, I actually anticipated. <laughs> feel depressed and illuminated. Uh, we're going to be talking about money stuff. Um, we're going to uh, also talk about this story that you might have seen where there was a teacher at a college in Rye who there was a recording of her basically fairly fairly setting on a student who clearly held what would be considered to be gender-critical views. Uh, certainly, the both the student and the teacher said things that were factually wrong, but there's just something interesting in, in the kind of moral certainty of the way that the teacher went at the student. Um, and, yeah, we're going to be doing a letters. And then we're going to have uh, what most people think first at the end of the show, where rather than the usual theme tune, we're going to be played out with one of Dom's songs. If you've been uh, to seen Dom live or, or been to Comedy Unleashed indeed you'll notice that you'll know that he's got loads of great songs out there which you, you could even pause the podcast right now uh, go on YouTube and just uh, have a quick listen and you'll get a, I think you'll get a very good sense of where where you're coming from politically and philosoph- philosophically I do I, uh, I I sing about both those things uh, without a great deal of irony <laughs> <laughs> no, they're great songs and, and packed full of jokes um, unlike a lot of Modern com. I just felt like an old fart. I was gonna, I was gonna launch a jab at modern comedy there, but I lost hard because I realised. Well, you I were gonna sounded... say you were gonna say modern. You were gonna say comic songs when you originally, and then you changed to modern comedy, and then no, no. I, ju- I was just gonna go even more cliched and reactionary oh, okay. than that. I was just gonna say mod. I was even gonna say modern comedy these days, which is actually tautology. There's a there's yeah. a word. The um, I think all the guys who got cancelled in the eighties, all the sort of you know, the, the, what we would call mainstream comics who got cancelled in the 80s by the sort of yeah. Ben Eltons and the alternative movement, they all, all used to complain that alternative comedy didn't have jokes in it. I know, that's, I'm aware that, that that is the problem is that there, there is, I mean, what, one thing that we've discussed sort of periodically on this podcast is the clip culture, you know, so that a lot more people on their smartphones and devices are just consuming more stand-up by virtue of stand-up reels and clips and stuff. Yeah. And, and, and the stuff that does well there is funny. And they, well, I quite like this phenomenon because it kind of proves that the public know what funny is and what the public think is funny is not um, it, not evolved, but not changed as radically as maybe some of the industry gatekeepers think. Yeah, it's it's people think it's easy to get a clip to go viral. It's it, if you think of you know the amount of clips you put out and the amount mm. that actually go viral, it's very few that do, and almost without exception, they have to be they have to be funny, like that's mm. the bare minimum, and then they have to touch on some kind of nerve as well. Uh, which is, I guess, what the best comedy does. It hits a nerve and it's funny. And mm. ideally, it wants to, like, if it's current, you, like, the more current it is, the less funny it needs to be, if that makes sense. Yes. I mean, that's the old thing, isn't it, about about topical, is if you can get in there, if you can be first. I mean, that is one of the reasons where topical shows, you, you know, a lot of the, the speculation as to why topical shows are getting cancelled is based around left, right, they're too left-wing or not right-wing enough. Um, but actually, it's just the marketplace is a lot harder for those shows to be funny now, isn't it? I mean, it's just yeah. by the time you get to a Friday of a show going out, you, you, the, the likelihood of you covering new territory is 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 minimal. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that, but it's absolutely right. Because so say, for example, it was Spitting Image 
you know, you probably have the, the, the meeting on the Monday, you've got to write the, mm. these are the stories we're going to cover. We're going to do this on the Tuesday, even on the radio, you know, the now show or something, which goes out on a Friday, gets recorded on the Thursday. They've probably decided mm. what's going in on the show on the Wednesday. By the time it goes out on the Friday, a load of stuff's happened on Thursday and Friday that makes, makes the now show look a couple of days out of date. Well, well yeah. And what happens is just, you know, some uh, bloke or bloquette, um, yeah. It's just sitting in their room with a camera and then just does a background that's number 10 and then just does a 40-second bit lampooning, you know, the latest prime ministerial resignation. Boom! You can't keep, you, you just can't compete in that marketplace. I mean, I remember there was a series of Mock the Week not that long ago that was actually, I think, recorded on the Tuesday to go out on the Friday, which is just fucking, you know, you've got no, you've got no chance, one, of being on top of the news, but two, of being ahead of where yeah. the most interesting takes are coming from. Yeah. And and they evolve, you know. I'll, you'll put a joke on Twitter, and I think, oh, that's funny, and that'll something that somebody else has done will, will lead to something that I do, which will lead to something that somebody else does. So the whole thing, you know, the the ideas evolve, and um, that that whole evolution. If the show's recorded on a Tuesday and it's put out on the Friday, that there's no room for that kind of evolution to happen. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because we went from, you know, for a long time, it's just the news quiz and have I got news for you. And then there was Mock the Week and then there was the MASH report and there was Frankie Boyle's show and there was 8 out of 10 cats topical. And then it's just sort of devolved right back to have I got news for you in the news quiz. I mean, it's <laughs> incredible. Fair, fair fucks to those shows have just sort of ridden out like a nuclear winter um, yeah. to, to, to still exist. But uh, but yeah. They, I, are I, the, I, they are the cockroaches of uh, comedy. The cockroaches <laughs> well, of topical comedy. I mean, one thing, you know, with the news quiz is that it's really interesting to see because they are trying to get diversity of political opinion on there. Like almost every show now has, you know, someone like Simon, myself, or, you know, they're, they're trying to spread it around. And it's really interesting. It's really interesting. It's more the, more the Now Show, wouldn't it be, with the songs? Well, I've, I've done the Now Show once in, like, in, in the lockdown and um, I wrote a really good song. It got loads of, I put it on YouTube, it got loads of hits mm. and stuff. And they've checked my availability, but they've never asked me back. <laughs> you're you're in the mix, you know. You're I'm on a, you're you're on an Excel spreadsheet somewhere, well, and yeah. And, and I bet you any money, like definitely, like there's a little note saying really good on libertarian stuff. Like you know, I, it's it's just how I know there's somebody at Five Live that remembers I'm a teacher because every time there's been a big teaching story yeah. where they think like, look, by five p.m. we've spoken about this all day. We we need a light-hearted take. Uh, I'll get somebody, cop. yeah, somebody, some lovely girl called Kaylee from Salford will ring and just ask if I, uh, you know, and, and they're quite determined as well. You can literally say like, um, I, I'm with my my father-in-law who's got dementia and my seven-year-old son. It's not really a great time. And they're like, we only need three minutes. I'm like, yeah, three minutes that people can walk into ponds or get run over. So maybe not today. We got new patrons. We've got a few new patrons. So I don't know if you remember from before, Don, but we sort of give them a gentle roasting uh, as a thank you for their money for keeping the podcast weekly and ad free. We've just got Nick. Nick's only a one name guy. So I don't re- I always think that we have to then presume that Nick is working on an ultra woke project, but we, we need to just work out what that is. I suppose these days that could just be teacher. Um, or maybe Nick is. Um, it may be he's on some advisory panel for the government, perhaps. It's funny. I thought he was a spy. A sp- that yeah, I didn't consider spy. Maybe he's a spy for a woke a woke regime. You know, I mean, I don't know. Jacinda Ardern has she stepped down yet? I, I, I had her tipped as the world's first woke dictator. 
She she was definitely on track. Well, her and Sturgeon were the number. <laughs> they were they were numbers <laughs> one and one. And, where's the next great hope for woke authoritarians, Don? Oh, where's no. it coming from? We need more short women in politics. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. David Duncan. David Duncan. We got. I mean, immediately you got an alliteration there. But David David Duncan. I mean, I bet David Duncan enjoys saying his own name. I'll, I'll give him that. All right, David Duncan. Bam! Huge bone-crushing handshake. David Duncan. Uh, maybe he. Maybe David Duncan does like a a slightly feminine job in a masculine world. So, so like <laughs> like he. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking deep Glaswegian accent. Uh, uh, works in makeup. Works in makeup. A real contradiction. The other thing about David Duncan, DD, make mm. a great signet ring with those initials DD, and then people could confuse him with Daredevil. Double D. Not all people. We always like to see that written down. Um, of course, <laughs> of course, reminding us of former Tory um, Brexit Secretary David Davis. Uh, Mike Cropper. Mike Cropper. I mean, there's obvious jokes that we could do about Mike Cropper's name, but I think Mike Cropper. If you're, there's definitely fictional kind of uh, cop. Yeah, American 80s cop, Mike Cropper. I'm thinking tree surgeon. Tree Wow, tree surgeon, Mike Cropper. I mean, there's 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 obviously potential for the name of his company there. Yeah, Mike Cropper. Yeah, I I'm getting I'm getting cop. Um maybe Or maybe he's the partner, the really nice guy partner that gets killed and then the troubled cop goes round to see his um his widow and she says something really inspirational to him. The guy, the yeah. surviving guy. And then they have an affair. And then they have an affair. Do it for Mike. And what she means by do it for Mike is, is for him to fuck her. That's what she means. <laughs> do it for Mike. <laughs> um, domain talking point. So our super patron, David Domain, uh, comments on things from last week's podcast, a, a point to pick up on. I was talking with Tom Walker, a.k.a. Jonathan Pye. Uh, got a lot of love for that episode. Uh, people really into it. And we spoke about... People who spend almost all their lives in London going outside London. And this is talking about white people saying that Britain is e extremely white or terribly white or too white. And he provides a bit of statistical heft to that. Um, he's saying the 2021 census reports that of the English and Welsh populace, 81.7% were from white ethnic groups. So about, yeah, getting on for 82%. So, I mean, is this thing now where it's not necessarily a... I often wonder when if you get like a liberal white person outside London going, oh, it's so white out here. Are they really surprised or are they trying to tell you something about themselves? Are they trying to make a point? I'm so urban. Honestly, you have to understand this is like really weird to me. Yeah, I guess they are. Where I don't think those censuses are accurate because I think a lot of people when they're faced with the census thinks it's something to do with tax. And uh, <laughs> so they lie on it. And yeah. I've done, this is not wearing my comedy hat, but if you want to look at the um, demographics of the population, what's really interesting is to look at the demography of primary school kids mm -hmm. because everyone sends their kids to primary school pretty much. And so yeah. you get, you, you might, you get a much more accurate reflection of what, you know, the demographics of primary school will be the demographics of the country in 20 years time. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's a much more accurate, it's predictive and it's also more accurate as to where we are. So, so yeah, I mean, eventually they, I mean, those same, yeah, I mean, God, if you, if you sent those, those same parents to 
a primary school in Cumbria. That would be that would blow their fucking minds, wouldn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, it would. But you'd be surprised. But I think the we we are. Uh, I think we're going to be at white English, and so that would mean like sort of Polish white doesn't count, but white English minority by twenty thirty five. I think it is twenty thirty five. Yeah, in primary schools. Yeah, I think it might be sooner in primary schools. It's okay. pretty. It's pretty um, uh, compelling statistics. I've written about well, it's it on my Substack. It is I mean, really it's very, interesting. It's interesting, also, like the idea. I think that you know, with what's happening with Boris, which we'll come on to, that the idea that what what those what some people would call populism is just suddenly, if, like, if you could just you, you remember in Superman two where. The General Zod and the other two were in that glass thing hurtling through space. Um, you remember the film? Are you talking about the one with Christopher Reeve or the Christopher one? Christopher Reeve. So General Zod and Ursa and and then the guy with the beard—they were in this glass thing going to the Phantom Zone. Yeah. I think there's some people that essentially want to do that with like Boris and Swella Braverman and like Oliver Letwing, and and they think that that way that there'll never be any populist movement again. Whereas I, I don't know. We discussed this last week. I, I there's an is. I think that, you know, the public are generally more towards Corbyn on economics, more towards Farage on immigration. So, so the, I, I just, look, I just don't, I don't think, and that's quite a dangerous, well, that's yeah. quite a, 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 that's a lively combination of. Yeah. What's the thing? Normally you would say uh, I'm economically to the right and socially to the left, but actually yeah. we're socially to the right and yeah. economically to the left. I know. <laughs> it's interesting times ahead. Okay, let's before we get into the subjects properly, let's do a quick thank you and a fuck you. I'll do a thank you, and I'd like to thank the people that cancelled uh, Take That Star, Howard Donald, from certain Pride events for liking tweets. Now, look, I'm not going to claim I've done loads of research into this, um, but I just think that whatever he liked, right, and you have to say in inverted commas because it's, it's such a petty thing to have liked someone's tweets, right? It's the equivalent of nodding during reading an article, right? It doesn't mean it's not even it's not even a retweet it's not saying i think that somebody else should read this or be aware of this opinion it's just like yeah it could be a number of things right but i think that you know when it comes to cancellation which of course we we know well know is a myth it just happens to have happened again i just think liking a tweet is too low a bar it's just so ridiculously petty like if you have to explain it to people that aren't on twitter you feel like a fucking five-year-old describing a, a playtime dispute I, I um, myself, a lot of the time somebody sends me a tweet and I sort of feel it's rude not to acknowledge it. But at the same time, maybe it's not funny enough or not mm. whatever enough to warrant a retweet and you don't want to clog up, clog up your own feed with too much crap. I just, yeah, I just do it. It's like, as you say, it's like nodding. I see it as a form of acknowledging a tweet. It doesn't necessarily endorse it or agree with it. It's just a sort of courtesy thing. So... That he's been cancelled for being courteous. <laughs> well, it could be. That's the point. Is we don't we don't know. I mean, a lot of these things. I think maybe there was some prior equivalent of this. You know, we we think that all these cancellation is new. It's not really new. People have got in trouble for their opinions. But what would have been the equivalent of something so low level? Would it have been just being at speaker's corner and going hmm, like when somebody yeah. made a point? It's not even going here here. It's just hmm. Yeah yeah. <laughs> I used to yeah a retweet a retweet is here here yeah exactly <laughs> I used to live in uh, Wandsworth and and because of where all the schools are on Wandsworth Common there'd always be loads of mums and dads and everyone taking their kids to school in the morning all the primary schools and so on in the area 
And Howard used to live, he must have lived in Wandsworth because you'd always see him um, on the common in the morning um, taking his kids to school and all the mums would yeah. be starstruck because it would Howard from Take That. And, yeah. I'm, and he was just such a sweet, I mean, he was, he was, he was just like an airhead, really. He was just look, looked like a sweet bloke without much in between the ears, very good looking, and was just very nice and friendly to everyone. So I imagine he's taken that into his Twitter and being very nice and friendly on his Twitter to everyone. Just He's literally just nodding at a mum. He's not going to, just because he says hello to her, he's not going to necessarily get off there or anything. And well, he, um, he just, yeah. what's that? I mean, you could get in trouble just for nodding at a mum, in fairness, if it's particularly well, early and you're on a heath or something. These days, Jeff. These, These days, days, there's no jokes around anymore, Dom. There's no jokes. Um, what's your fuck you? My fuck you is Mark Carney for okay. uh, this thing of coming out and blaming all the inflation that we're experiencing and, on Brexit. And there's two reasons. Is that firstly, every single country in the world is experiencing inflation at the moment. The United States, it's rampant across Europe. It's not a UK-centric thing. And so to blame it on Brexit is just disingenuous. And secondly, he himself is responsible for the inflation that we're experiencing now because it takes several years, like for years, um, I think he was governor of the Bank of England for eight years. He kept mm -hmm. interest rates too low for too long, which sent house prices absolutely bananas. He printed, um, uh, in, I think um, I think the number is 375 billion he printed while he was at the uh, governor of the Bank of England. And a lot of this and was before that, COVID as well. It was so, before COVID. Yeah. All that money goes into the economy. It finds a home and it pushes up prices. And while printing all that money, he he uh, didn't inf measure inflation properly. He only measured the prices of a small basket of goods and services, which are prone to the deflationary forces of productivity. You know, we get better at making phones, so the prices of phones comes down, or phone calls or whatever it is. And... And then the other big factor in why there's been so much inflation is, as you say, COVID, because it, it didn't it affected all the supply chains and that pushed the prices up. So, you know, if you're looking for one individual to blame for the inflation we're experiencing at the moment, you should look to the head of your central bank, which was Mark Carney for eight years. And for him to turn around and blame Brexit, I just say, fuck you, Carney. That is exactly what we need from the fuck you. That was it, mate. That was that was compelling. Uh, if you want to, if you want to respond to any of that, email him. What most people think UK at gmail.com. I know that I do have a few remainers listening who literally just their fingers will be twitching. So email in and I cover that uh, next week. All right, let's get into talking about Boris and the Privileges Committee and you know Boris, Boris, Boris. Okay, so just a recap. I mean, God, what we're recording this Monday. When when did he resign? It was Friday, wasn't it? Or I believe so. Yeah, it was Friday of last week. So he kind of made noises that he might accept the findings. Then he found out the findings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, it's, it's, I mean, as long as the findings had gone his way, he was more than happy to accept them. Um, and then, uh, so he stood down as an MP. And eventually the report comes out. Or oh, maybe that was last week, actually. But anyway, so the report it, the report came out Friday, okay? So it's a 90-day suspension, and they're going to take away his pass. I mean, I think, like, obviously they've upped the, whatever the sanction was. Whatever it would have been would have been enough to trigger a recall, potentially, and, and a by-election. So that was seen at the already at the upper end. And then they've got 90-day suspension. I do think, like... 
I mean, I, I wanted Boris to go, not a fan of his, but the taking away his past thing does seem to be like, I mean, if you wanted to do one thing that gave sucker to the people that are saying that there's a retributive element to it, it would be to go, right, and we're going to take your lanyard as well. Yeah, I mean, they hate him. Hmm. The thing is, um, I before Boris became leader, he he was never popular within amongst MPs, amongst fellow Tory MPs. Yeah. And, you know, he won a certain amount of popularity because he won that election so convincingly, but he was never popular. Um, and then there's obviously, you know, the, the Tory party's 75% remain, even though it's sort of nominally in favour of Brexit. It, it's still, seven, you know, 75% of them uh, uh, voted for uh, remain at the, in 2016. And they hate him. I, mm. They hate him because he doesn't do things by the book. They hate him because of Brexit. They hate him for a million different reasons. Some of them may be justified, some of them not. But, oh, my God, talk about kicking a man when he's down, <laughs> right up to taking away the lanyard, as you say. I think from the public's point of view, right, you know, obviously social media was ablaze and then we had the the first ever video, video footage from the actual parties themselves, which was interesting because, obviously... You know, social media was then ablaze with people saying, "For never forget, this is what they did. They partied while you died and all this stuff. And I thought all of that is true, that there was at the very least, even if you thought lockdown was too strict, there was hypocrisy at work, right? So all that was fair enough. But we fucking had this discussion. We had this discussion when it was first revealed in December 21, right up until when Boris stepped down. It's now June 2023. And I just think from the public's point of view, it feels... It feels like the chat was already had. And, and you know, when the Sue Gray report come out and they were talking about parties like these wild debauched parties with vomit up the wall. And then you see this lame couple dancing like two people that desperately have wanted to shag for a while needed to drink enough fucking Chardonnay to get it over the line. I don't actually think it was as bad as what I had in mind. <laughs> I thought it was rather sweet. Yeah, it wasn't what you... I mean, obviously, there was a guy in shot who had braces on, which for Tories, I'll just say to anyone who works for Conservative Party, never wear braces and never go, right? Just do those two things. But I just I just wonder whether this will move the dial, whether or not Rishi votes on the... or abstains tonight. I, just, I think for the public, it's all... You know, like when they talk about an, an interest rate rise and then the markets price it in? I do yeah. think almost everything's priced in now. Well, and what annoys me is... Just how much this is all costing, who's mm. paying for it, because um, it'll be us that pays for it. And are there not, not more important things in the world to be focusing our resource, spending money on at the moment? You know, Well, I'm there sure, are a lot of inquiries, yeah, there are a lot. No, I mean, I mean, you know, shouldn't we be focusing all our efforts and inquiries on whatever it is, sorting out the NHS or dealing with immigration or whatever mm. it is the government wants us? There just seems to be much more important things to be allocating energy to and that's all money well, but that's been true through but that's yeah. been true throughout party game but yeah. that's that's the question that i wonder is is are one is, is i think it's a convenient distraction and it has been i mean even you know this this got ukraine off the top spot on the news shortly after the ukraine invasion happened i remember uh putin invaded in what was it late february and there was about two weeks where the news was ukraine and then it's like, all right, enough of that shit. Back to the real story here, which is Partygate. And you do think that, you know, it, the government fucked up and, and the public are right to be angry. But ever since it started, it's been like, this is the way that we get them out of office. Rather than have a, a competing national vision or a winning a political argument, 
It's just go back to the party gate well. And, and it was interesting. I was on a panel earlier on Jeremy Vine. I was speaking um, with Tessa Dunlop, who's very good, you know, brilliant historian and stuff. But when, when she spoke about why she wanted the vote to go against Johnson tonight, she used the phrase they want to drive a stake through the heart of Boris Johnson, right? We're back to stakes again. And, um, and so I just thought... But that's what I thought. I thought that... But that's the point, isn't it? Is, the, is it really about what he did, the lies that I agree that he told? I think that the committee's findings are broadly correct the punishments we could debate. But, or is it just that they really, really want to see him get fucked as hard as possible? I will say this though. Like, you know how you look back at your, you might look back at your life. Maybe you don't, but I'm pretty sure we all do. And you go, you know, if only I'd done, you know, if only I'd bought Bitcoin in 2013, or if only I'd done this in, uh, uh, you know, I'd, made this choice at this time time in my life or taken that opportunity or seen this thing for the opportunity it was or whatever. And so we all have these regrets when we look back at our lives, mm. choices we've made and things we could have done. And I think when Boris Johnson, but they're all to just do with our little life. Mm. But when Boris Johnson comes back to look at his life, and he probably won't think about it like this because he's too vain and too pompous and too egotistical, but the opportunity he had in 2019 mm. with that overwhelming majority who wanted, you know, just a little bit less government, just a little bit less tax, Brexit to be delivered, you know, all those sort of things that, you know, your listeners and your readers and you yourself stand for, as you say, what most people think. And, you know, he had a, he had a mandate to do whatever he liked. And let's just say he had this incredible vision about the country he wanted to be, Britain to be, that was his chance to impose it. Like mm. that kind of opportunity, it just doesn't come around after most elections because they're not that clearly defined. You know, you might say Thatcher or Blair, you know, two or three times in our lifetime. And that was such an opportunity to do something not mm. just meaningful in his own life, but meaningful in the national destiny of this country. And talk about spunking it up the fucking wall. Do you know what I, <laughs> you know, I mean? Incredible. I say, you... He won't, he won't, he probably doesn't even acknowledge it, but talk about wasted opportunity. That guy should be just, if he's bitter because he's been shafted, well, take a long, hard look at yourself, mate, because you had the opportunity to mm. do a lot. And you, as I say, you spunked it. Yeah. And I think that, that is, right up until in December, in December, 2021, this is the thing was like, there'd been, Points within, like the 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 kind of uh, the the what's the fucking word I'm looking for? The eye of the COVID storm, yeah. Whereby it looked like that would be the thing that would get Boris out, you know, when death rates were at a certain point, PPE and stuff like that. But he actually weathered it all. Even the Owen Patterson thing was just about hanging in there. And then in December 2021, this stuff starts coming out. I said at the time, if he'd have got out in front of it, said what mistakes were made, said what happened, I think that he'd still be prime minister now. Not only that. He'd be looking at another election, but the the, the fucking hubris that, that that was displayed to think that it's always the the cover up always ends up causing more damage than the initial yeah. lie, doesn't it? And I just I just think I still say this. There was a, like a week when we were going to go down the Sweden route, mm. and we were all just going to go look. This is a situation you just deal with it as best you think, rather than be all controlling about it. And, and, and I looked at that and I thought, great, that's the really sensible way to deal with this. And then the media kicked up a storm. Boris didn't have the stomach or the honesty or the principles or the uh, philosophy to deal with that. 
uh, he took the wrong advice and then suddenly we just did what everyone else did. I, I agree. I think for me, the biggest beast I had with Boris is that we knew the damage that the first school closure did, right? We had time to come out of that, yeah. time to go back to normal. And we knew, we said never again, right? And we and, and I think that every Tory politician was like, never again. And yet when push came to shove, we, we can see, and I just, and then not only that, do you remember when Plan B measures were brought forward because of Omicron? And yeah. I just felt that that was completely because Partygate was breaking and he wanted to kind of throw the press off the set. Yeah. I just thought it's fucking repugnant to actually impose measures on a whole country because you're trying to save your political career. So oh, it's for me, awful. the parties and all of that are, you know, they're obviously poor conduct in government. But the real big shit, as you say, is the way that they failed on a policy basis, the things that they and did. It- do you remember it was? So I think it would have been. Would it been December twenty twenty or December twenty twenty one? I get my years muddled up now. But we were about to go into. I think it was been December twenty twenty, maybe, and we were about to go into another lockdown, and then we didn't. You you alluded it to it a moment ago because Steve Baker and all those guys had a rebellion, and they said if you put us into another lockdown, we're doing a vote of no confidence. So he backtracked mm. and he didn't do it, and the rest of Europe went into a lockdown, and we didn't, and then. Two months later, the COVID transmissions rates are exactly the same across Europe to prove that the lockdowns didn't hardly mm. make any difference. And I remember going skiing with my friends in uh, in France, and it would have been February. And at this point, everyone in the UK had just given up on lockdowns and COVID, and it, we just mm. basically just brushed it under the carpet. Whereas in France, you still had to show your pass to go and eat in a restaurant, and there were all these people on a chairlift who didn't wear a mask on a chairlift, and they all got arrested by the police for not wearing a mask on a fucking chairlift. And I was just looking around going, I cannot believe you are so... You're still doing this out here when we've just completely opened up and gone back to normal. And it it just proves that that the... You know, the meddlesome bureau, just, you know, this is one of the reasons I'm a libertarian. Just let people get on with it and you'll get better outcomes than if you try and plan everything and meddle. Interest rates. We've touched on the kind of um, the mortgage ticking uh, atrophy at sort of anal fissure aneurysm or whatever we're going to call it. I mean, just on a basic level, it's it's worth reminding people how, because it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Is that, oh shit, things are getting more expensive. Let's make people a bit poorer by another mechanism to stop inflation. So what's the logic of just raising interest rates? Well, interest rates basically represent the cost of money. That's what they are. They're the price of money. How much are you paying for money? And if truth be told, they've been too low for too long. Um, since 2008 to maybe 20, 2021, so for 13, 14 years, they were the lowest of at any time in history. Hmm. And I'm talking about right back to ancient Mesopotamia. You can see charts, and they were just lower for that 12 or 13 years than at any time ever. And Sorry, there's a record of the interest rates in Mesopotamia. Yeah, there are. Like people, <laughs> the geeks have, have got, they've got their bits of um, stone and worked, looked at the hieroglyphs and calculated. Because, you know, the very first handwriting yeah. was uh, to record debts. That was why hand rate, that oh, was really? why invented writing to record debts. Yeah. So and God, money is so fundamental, isn't it? It's, yeah. it, it, it? And what was GDP back then? Could it be influenced by like really minor things like a, a very fertile cow? Yeah, well, you'd have good, you would have um, there were there's lots of like ancient Mesopotamian um, philosophers who get cited. You know, I've cited a couple of them in my books, but but you know, you'd have a good season, good weather, the farming yields would be good, 
and and then you'd have a bad season, bad weather. The farming yields would be would be bad, and you ha- you had some people who collected too much tax during during the the good the bad times or in the good times and failed to put money aside during the good times for the bad times. You know, it's all the same as Gordon Brown mm. or Boom and Bust, and it's the same. You know, it's the same repetitive things that get said. Is it? You know. Um... If that phrase has come out again, that John Major was reported to have once said was, if it isn't hurting, it isn't working. Which I think ever since the affair he had with Edwina Curry came to light, I don't think we should use that phrase anymore. No, no if it I, isn't I'm, working, I'm with you. If it isn't hurting, it isn't working. But um, do you think, is there a thought that they're sort of okay with the idea of a recession or that they even it's preferable to have a small recession? I, I, I think... The idea of a recession is more academic than anything else because all that a recession means is that GDP hasn't grown in that um, year. And GDP is such an arbitrary measure anyway. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I've got a property and I've got an interest, I'm paying a debt on the property, so I, it suits me for interest rates to be low. But actually, if if you want to make houses of and, and, and you know, anyone who owns a, a property and is paying interest on their mortgage, they want interest rates to be low. It's just a normal thing that, you know, you're, you're thinking with your own pocket. But really, if, if we're to put a stop to this world in which, you know, if you just look at, for example, how much 100 quid bought you when you were 10 years old versus 100 quid, how much it bought you when you're 30 years old versus 100 quid, what it gets you now you're 50 years old. I presume you're 50 or thereabouts. Um, 46, you know. 46, but you, okay. But I'm you on the journey. Point. <laughs> the, the purchasing power of money is just, it, it's, it keeps falling uh, it, and, and it's, it's a form of theft. It, it just means the value of your work is, is constantly eroded away because wages don't rise at the same rate as the purchasing power of money falls. And the way to keep the purchasing power of money strong is high interest rates and um, so I recognise that people who've got mortgages want lower interest rates, but really we need higher rates because, you know, we've got, what are rates now, 5 6% or something or 4%, but actual inflation, if you look at, there's a thing called trueflation that measures actual mm. inflation, prices are rising at more than 10% a year in most things. And so interest rates should really be north of 10% to reflect that and bring them under control, and they're not. And until, until they rise substantially more, this problem's going to persist. I'm afraid to say. Well, I mean, one of the, the the ticking time bomb, right? So we've got an idea of when it might explode. What's interesting is that they're trying to control, control inflation now, but obviously it doesn't have an immediate impact because most people are, a th- only a third of people are currently on standard or rate variables or have changed their mortgage in this period of time. So they're sort of taking, right? okay. yeah, so they're sort of taking steps, the people that might be changing their mortgage in, in another two years or, or five years' time. So it is hard to get your head around. And then on the other side, people's reactions to the uh, the ticking time bomb is to say, well, soon the government will have to sort of, like we had cost of living payments, we'll have to have mortgage support payments. Given that the, the thing, part of the thing that's caused inflation is just fucking continually pump, throwing money at people and pumping yeah. money at people, wouldn't that just cause more inflation? Yeah, of course it will. And the other thing that's caused inflation is keeping the cost of money too low, i.e. keeping interest rates too low for too long. Um, I think the received wisdom is that it takes a year to a year and a half for an, for the effects of an interest rate rise to filter through to the economy. And so 
I think the Bank of England is thinking we've put interest rates up to say whatever it is, four and a half, five percent, whatever the number is. And they keep waiting, thinking that will filter through to the economy. And it's not. And in fact, the problem is the inflation persists. You know, rates are much higher in the States and, and inflation is lower. So we'll mm. probably have to go where America's gone eventually. It's Brexit, mate. <laughs> That's what you've got to do. It's got to, I just... Jerome, did you not listen to the latest speech by <laughs> Jerome Powell of the Federal Reserve? He said, I've got to put up interest rates because of Brexit. He said it. <laughs> did he actually say that? No, I made it up. Oh, I see. But, I, you know, it's a good... If you're just running, slightly running out of arguments, it's just after a beat of a pause, just go, Brexit. I mean, I wonder yeah. during, the, you know, the worst of the Brexit debates, whether, if you know, if, if you couldn't get it up as well. I well, mean, how... <laughs> I've used that excuse many times, Jeff. Although it's just, I blamed Remainers. It's, it's, until we get a free trade agreement, babe, I just, I just can't. Okay, we're just going to do a, a quick hype here. Uh, we've got two more new patrons to welcome to the patron community. Everything has to be called a community now. Uh, we've got Rob York. That's a fucking solid name. Rob York. I mean, that is Rob. I'm just. Please tell me your middle name is of. <laughs> Rob of York. Just, I just imagine in Sean Bean. I'm just imagining professional rugby player. Rugby league, maybe. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, St. Ellis, Rob York has gone in there. Oh, he's gone over the top and he's brought the guy's neck. That's what we like to see. Rugby league. <laughs> uh, Rob York sounds like a, uh, a public schoolboy to me, so it's rugby unions maybe more likely. Robert York. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, Rob York for the stag do. And we've got Richard O'Sullivan. Um, Richard, is, is Sullivan an Irish name or...? O'Sullivan's definitely Irish, yeah. Yeah, of course it is. But then you just get the English sort of like change. We we like changing the names, don't we? Just I don't say think Sullivan re- is necessarily Irish though, because we had like Gilbert and Sullivan. But maybe I, I think going back at some, you know, we've got a bit of a record of doing that, Dom, haven't we? We've just gone, yeah, we like that word, but we're gonna do one or two tweaks to it. Could we call you London Sullivan? Just like we did London Derry. <laughs> It's just add London to stuff. I mean, it is incredibly Route One, isn't it? You go Derry. How about London Derry? I mean, you got some fucking balls to go over there and just put London. I mean, anyway, look, I'm doing a show in Belfast, so this kind of thing is. Uh, I'll, I'll be picking this up in the live show, um, <laughs> and two fucking rate, two fucking rate. We did that. Um, the in terms of hyping stuff, uh, I, I had a good run on ticket sales now for the for the autumn leg. Almost all the dates now are limited uh, availability or sold out. I think Newcastle and Brighton are now sold out. Norwich has got like a couple of singles left. So remember, if if the dates that you want in the autumn aren't there, go on Live Nation. Just keep scrolling. A lot of people just don't keep scrolling. Keep scrolling to 2024. So from spring 2024, I'm in Middlesbrough. I'm in fucking South End again. You know, I'm doing loads of stuff there. And and Dom, is there stuff that people should be yeah, going to for I'm yourself? Doing, I'm doing one of my shows with my band. Um, I'm, well, I'm doing Edinburgh. I'm doing a lecture about gold at the Edinburgh Festival. So if you're in Scotland, Edinburgh in August, come to that. And I'm mm-hmm. doing a show with my band. We do them once every couple of months um, at a place called Crazy Cox in Piccadilly Circus in the West End. And yeah. they are brilliant. And I'm doing one in one in the end of September and one in November. Okay, and what's the show, what's the is there a name for the lecture at Edinburgh? If people are searching, uh, the lecture in Edinburgh is just called Gold, and the show with the band is just called I don't even know what it's called. Dominic Frisbee at Crazy Cox. If you go to frisbees.news, that's my website. You'll find information about it there. 
Yeah, I mean, like when you do the search, lead with Dominic Frisbee and then put Crazy Cox. If you go Crazy Cox first, you know, hey, you might see some great stuff, but... um... (laughs) Not going to have me in it. It's not going to (laughs) have unacceptable right-wing songs in it, that's for sure. I mean, what would a Crazy Cock look like? We know what a big cock is and a small... A Crazy Cock would be... I guess just the dimensions would be out. I think it's French, so it's more like crazy. It's crazy, uh, mad, you know. And it's Cox, C-O-K-S. No, sorry, C-O-Q-S, as in Le Coq Sportif. Oh, okay. Okay, well, there, there you go. And if you spell it wrong now, it's because you wanted to. All right, we've got, just got a story I want to um, cover here. This is about a college in Rye. So there was an audio clip that emerged via the Telegraph of uh, a teacher and a student who, I think the student was 13 years old. I think it's a female student, although you probably shouldn't presume. And uh, It was, no, I've the, listened to the tape, it was a female. Well, I mean, first up, having been a teacher, I kind of know what kind of teenage female student it was, right? So let's just say, broadly speaking, in this story, I'm on... Philosophically, I'm on the side of the student, but my God, when when a 13 year old girl can argue that well, you are in fucking trouble. But let me let me just proceed the story. So so the teacher's going at her and saying that she's being offensive, and the girl has expresses a bunch of um, opinions which would be deemed, I guess, gender critical. And she's making she essentially believes that gender and sex are one and the same thing. The 13 year old girl says things which are definitely inaccurate. Um, but she's also 13, but the teacher also says things uh, are inaccurate and wrongly, and which is less allowable given that she's a fucking teacher. And and she characterises the girl's views as, as, as homophobic when they're, they're just absolutely not. The, the thing that I found interesting, so people could, you know, they could go and find that story and listen to it. It's quite illuminating. I mean, at the heart of it is a teacher who's just going to war with a student. Uh, I'll be honest, Tom, I lost my shit a couple of times. You can... I nearly squared up to a sixth former once. So you can end up in a... He was really tall in my defence, but then everybody's really tall to me. <laughs> um, but what what the thing that I think really surprised me and irked me was that the teacher basically calls the girl despicable for holding the views that she does. I mean, she's not, and this isn't like out and out extreme transphobia. Yes, say she, what the views are. The so the views are, so she, she talks about, oh, if you, you can't identify as something that you're not. So you can't identify you're a cat. If you're not a cat, you're a girl. So they're a little bit sort of Piers Morgan-y and perhaps oversimplified. But again, seen through the prism of her being a 13-year-old girl, what she essentially seems to be saying is that, look, you can't just, you know, gender and, uh, is a consequence of biology, right? Rather than something that you choose for yourself. Whereas, you know, technically, ge- you know, legally, gender isn't. So that's where the girl is is factually wrong in terms of the way it's seen in the eyes of the law. The problem is, is the way that the teacher then sort of says, well, your views are despicable. Um, and then sort of says, like, like almost it threatens to lo- launch her out of the school and yeah, for no, not having the does. right views. She said she had to leave the school with views like that. Yeah, and, and then says, well, uh, we may be some sort of a lot, something along the lines of maybe some diversity training for you. And I just thought, my God, it's almost like a kind of... Um, Almost too on the nose. Like if you were going to characterise the worst sides of that argument or the worst sides of modern woke liberal thought, it would be that, that you call someone horrible, you tell them they've got to leave and, and essentially say, oh, a little, yeah, little bit of diversity training for you. I mean, it's pretty, I, I, I genuinely, like most clips never really live up to what they're built to be. You know, people say this will, this will be jaw dropping, but I listened to that and the jaw dropped a little bit. Yeah, well, I listened to it as well. And um, I, I, funnily enough, I was in Rye a couple of weeks ago and 
it's just such a beautiful town. It's one of the most beautiful towns in, it must be one of the most beautiful towns in England, but they're on the South coast and everyone's just so nice. And Mm. you can see how this kind of ideology has been allowed to infiltrate because everyone's just so nice and so friendly and so tolerant. But unfortunately the teacher who is perpetrating the ideology couldn't bear being challenged she was out argued by the pupil quite convincingly in my view and the pupil was just going no i think a man has a penis and a woman uh, uh, does not have a penis and that is what defines a man and a woman and this other woman starts citing all these different genders and cisgender this and whatever and um in, in the way you know a lot of the times you witness a debate and the person who won the debate is the person who articulates the argument that you think so in this case the the, the school kid was articulating the argument that i think but you know she argued it really well she out argued the teacher the teacher kept having to double down <laughs> and mm. eventually the only place where the teacher had left to go was to threaten her with having to be thrown out of the school for having wrong thought and so it, yeah, the, it was just amazing to me that it was should have been in Rye, having just been there. And yeah, that the teacher, I mean, I think it shows you how um, religious people mm. have become about certain opinions. And if you don't share the right opinion, you are literally excommunicated. That's what effectively the teacher did to the pupil. She excommunicated her. And it, it it's, we need some kind of belief system that everyone can agree on to replace religion because religion's obviously gone from our lives or in most cases it's gone from our lives, but boy, do we need some kind of belief system to replace it. Otherwise this madness, this ideological culture war thing is just going to go on indefinitely. I think that was what's interesting. It was the moral certainty of the teacher. She didn't yeah. seem embarrassed or there was no note of caution in the way that she threatened to sanction and, and as you say, excommunicate uh, the teacher. And I do wonder if like, if, if business and, 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 um, and politics has got a, a bit of a case to answer here. In, so, you know, including under Theresa May, the, the sort of trans activist side of the argument, you know, and, and the more ultra progressive side of how we view gender was sort of egged on a bit, wasn't it? You know, in terms of corporate entities, which are still doing it and in at the heart of government under Theresa May. And, and it sort of dragged discourse to a place where the public were never going to find themselves in the same place. Like certainly not for another few decades, if, if ever at all. So I do wonder if, if that side of the debate has been egged on. Something needs to be done and it isn't what it used to be. These days, <laughs> these days, G- gender ain't what it used to be. Oh, there was just interesting as, as, as a slightly related point. There is, um, is I saw a tweet the other day, and it was about people thinking that life was better 50 years ago. And so, there was an article about people, you know, just basically the perception. If you ask the public, they think life is better than 50 years ago, and then the guy then tracked that point of view. Uh, at certain points throughout history and going right back to like 1864, they felt yeah. that life was better 50 years ago. So sort of like for nostalgia, you know, they say nostalgia ain't what it used to be. <laughs> it really is what it used to be. You know, the, you do look at those videos, those old videos of like somebody driving through London or something and you see London in the seventies or London in the thirties or something. And it does mm. look amazing. And you do. Pine it does. It. But my dad always used to say there was no golden age. 
There was that's a that's a good phrase, and I, you know you look at those people, and they're all smartly dressed. People always yeah. say that. Oh, people are so much more smartly dressed then. Yeah, but that was the one fucking like suit they had, and it probably smelled. And you know you saw that it guy like isn't it itched itched is a good point. And then you saw that forty year old man. The chance of him making fifty was slim. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And the idea that the idea that everyone was like helping each other out and you could leave your back doors open. People didn't people didn't own expensive computer fucking like hardware in the house. Of course you could leave your back doors open. There was fuck all in the house worth nicking. So I, I and that's not like I'm not shitting on the past. I just I'm an optimist and I, I think it would be weird weird if you if you got to your last drawing your last breath to suddenly realise, oh shit, I lived at the best time ever to be alive and I spent a lot of time thinking that it wasn't. I think, well, there's loads that we've lost for sure. And family and community and and cohesiveness and lots of things like that. And like I I, I really got into um you know all those a couple of years ago, all those shanties, everyone was singing all those shanties yeah. on the internet. And you know, most of those shanties come because you're they're a way of getting everyone who's pulling the rope or whatever mm. it is, working in the field or on the boat or whatever, to do the work in time. So you go, yo, heave, ho, and yo, heave, ho. And it, it just gets everyone doing the heave at the same time with each other. And you just imagine being in a workforce like that, singing those songs, doing that work. It must have been an incredibly powerful and bonding experience. And I sort of quite miss the fact that, you know, I never sang she sea shanties and went to sea. And But then at the same time, the boat sank. Or the guy who's in the field, a lot of the time he was he was a slave yeah. or one up from, you know, a surf or whatever he was. And, and you know, the fact is now we've got combine harvesters and motorised ships yeah. and they're kind of better. So we've lost the yeah. sea shanties, but we've got the computers. <laughs> I think that that's a lovely point there to bring it round to music, because as promised... Uh, at the beginning of the show so we are gonna uh, we're gonna sign out here with the song and it'll play to the end of the show and do listen to it and do go and check out Dom's other stuff here uh, so it's been great having you on the show mate um, so this this song um, you okay. want to preface it at all for us yeah I do want to preface it and the preface is going to take me about two minutes is that okay it absolutely is okay so I've been working Jeff uh, for about 25 years on a musical and we ended up going uh, during the, and I've been trying to get it on on stage and trying to get it into made into a film. It's never been able to happen. And it's, I say I've been working on it. It's actually written by my dad. But finally, during the lockdown, uh, we went and recorded it and we recorded this podcast musical version of the story. And we won, we've just won in the New York Festival Awards, which is apparently the Oscars of podcasts. We won silver for best serialized podcast. So it's, it's a really right. good show. And the story as we, we were talking about nostalgia, it's the story is the story of my dad and his brother when my dad was seven and his brother was 11 and it was in World War II. They were living in Southeast London and they were evacuated from their parents in Southeast London down to Cornwall uh, during the war. And I don't know how much you know about the evacuation, but across the country, four million kids were evacuated away from their parents. And it was the biggest movement of people in all our history. And I'm just going to tell you one little story from the show and play you one song from the show. But I just encourage anyone who's interested in history or they've got family or they like music, whatever, go to kissesonapostcard.com and you can listen to the musical, you know, there's, or type it into your Apple podcast thing, Kisses on a Postcard, and you can listen to it. It's 10 episodes, half hour each episode. So I'm going to just give you the, the first episode. 
So it's 1940. The last of the soldiers have just come back from Dunkirk. We know the Germans are going to bomb. And the direction a directive has come from up top that every kid in a city has to be evacuated to the countryside. And if you're over the age of five, your parents cannot come with you. And so my dad's, my gran, my dad's mum, uh, is ties is tying a label uh, onto my dad's neck and onto his brother's neck that says their name on it. She's packed their bags. They've got the gas masks, some sandwiches, a change of clothes. And she doesn't know if she's ever going to see her kids again. And every single family in a city in the country is going through the same thing. You're about to stick your kids on a train. You don't know how long they're going for. You don't know where they're going. You don't know if you're ever going to see them again. You don't know, you don't know any of these questions. You're just putting them onto a train and you're saying goodbye. You cannot imagine the wrench that that must have been for parents across the country. And so my dad's mum tried to turn the whole thing into an adventure for them. And to do this, she gave them each, she gave them a postcard. And on the postcard, it said, dear mum and dad, uh, arrive safe and well, love Jack and Terry. Uh, 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 my dad's name was Terry and his brother's name was Jack. And so she writes this postcard and she tell, this is how she turned it into an adventure for them. She gave them a secret code. And this was the secret code. They were to put the address of where they ended up on the postcard. And then they were to put one kiss if it was horrible and she'd come straight down and get them. She was, mm -hmm. They were to put two kisses if it was okay, and they were to put three kisses if it was nice. And that was the code. That's why the story's called Kisses on a Postcard. So she takes them down to Deptford Station, along with everyone else in their school, they're put on a train, and as it turns out, the train goes all the way across the country down to Cornwall, and they end up in a tiny little village in the middle of nowhere in Cornwall, about nine miles outside of Liscard, a village called Dobwalls. And they're in Dobbles, they're herded into the um, village hall and they're made to stand in the centre of the village hall. There's about 40 or 50 kids and all the local villagers with their strange Cornish accents and all that. Uh, and the, the phrase was, I'll take that one there. And they were literally picked out like cattle in a cattle market. And dad and his brother, they were told that at all costs they had to stick together, which they did. And they were picked out by an old Welsh couple who'd moved down to Cornwall uh, they'd moved down there from Wales. He'd been a soldier in World War I. And they had these strange accents, and they were taken back to their house, and it was a tiny cottage. Dan and his brother had to top and tail on a mattress in the hall, and um, there was their own son living there, and there was a pig uh, outside in the, the yard, and there was a stream at the bottom of the garden. There was the main train line from London to Penzance at the bottom of the garden as well. Um, he used to, he, The man they were taken in by worked on the railways. And dad and his brother came from that generation who were obsessed with steam trains. And there was woods to explore and a hill to go and climb. And dad and his brother, uh, they weren't sure what to make of it. And this song that I'm going to play you now, this is on when they arrive in Cornwall on their first night and they're deciding how many kisses to put on the card. And Gwyn, by the way, is the person's is the son of Auntie Rose and Uncle Jack, who were the couple that took them in. So here we go. Here's the song. Okay, well, listen, for the first time ever on what most people think, instead of the usual tune, we're playing out with that song, As Set Out by Dominic Frisbee. Thanks very much for being on the show, mate. My pleasure, Jeff. I'll speak to you soon. And let's hear the song.
That night, in the secrecy of the tiny hall, on a borrowed mattress on the floor, Jack and I stared at Mum's postcard and considered our code. How many kisses? I vote three. What would Mum and Dad think of it here? Don't know. No electricity. They wouldn't like that. I don't care. There's no bathroom. I don't care. Outside lab, all they have. I can't go in an outside lab. I don't mind. I don't care. What if it's freezing cold out there? That's what the box for, don't you see? I vote one. I vote three. Squashed up in it, I don't care. This is on a postcard, we must write something we've got to do tonight. This is on a postcard, what will they show? Only mum is going to know. What about Gwyn? Gwyn's not bad, even though you can see he's mad. Auntie Rose, what are you saying? She says weird things, but she's okay. Not Uncle Jack, though, he plays rough. Pulled my hair, called me scruff. Kisses on a postcard, what do we do? I still say three. Well, I say two. Kisses on a postcard, three, two, one. Better be quick or it won't get done. If we put lesson three, Mum and Dad will think it's rotten here. They'll be worried. Yeah, well, there's the trains, they're good. And the station, right next to us. That's terrific. Hey, wait, I've just remembered. Hens. What about hens? Eggs, stupid. Real eggs. Not that horrible powdery stuff. Eggs for you, eggs for me. Eggs for breakfast, supper and tea. Poached or baked, scrambled or fried. On board with soldiers on the side. What do you say now? What's your score? Why not? Mum only set up to three. But don't you see? The more kisses we put, the more happy they're going to be. Yeah. It's terrific here, really, isn't it? Like being on holiday, only there's no seat. We don't have to stop at four. Let's do hundreds! Yeah! Harry. Look at them, fast asleep, and they've covered the card in kisses. Night-night, boys. <laughs>